0: Let's start the interview now. My guest for the full hour is Andriy Srechalyuk, entrepreneur consultant in human resources and organizational development and teacher, currently assisting his country's military. Here to paint a personal picture of one Ukrainian man, as well as show particular intersections between Ukrainian and American institutions, while taking every opportunity to bring us along with Ukrainians writ culture. As recently claimed by an important, incredible chronicler based in London, Alona, whose name I can't, her last name I cannot pronounce. I'm quoting her, there are no civilians in Ukraine now. Every Ukrainian is fighting against Russia. End of her quote. I'm going to give a brief summary of Andriy's professional educational background. His broader personal history will emerge from this interview. Andre is a visiting lecturer at UCBC Business School in Niv. His many startup ventures include core team member at Hardy App, executive positions with CEO Alliance in Kyiv, Figleaf App, novix Mondelez, and how do I pronounce that correctly, Andre?
1: Mondelez International.
0: Mondelez International, thank you. In Kyiv, DuPont, and Amprop. He completed his bachelor's of arts in philosophy, at Ivan Franco National University of Lviv, his master's in the history of philosophy and doctoral studies in philosophy and aesthetics at National University of Kiev Mohila Academy. Mohila, is that correct?
1: Mohila Academy. You, you said it perfectly. Really, it, it's fine.
0: He comes to us today from NIVE. We're recording this on September 5th. Welcome to Ask a Leader, and it's such a pleasure to have you and the special time you're giving us, Andrii Svechaliuk.
1: Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for having me here.
0: Well, first, I want to bring all our listeners along with being mindful of the very difference of scenes in the split screen between my immediate community and Andrii's circumstances. Full stop. And the other consideration is that I'm relying on Andriy's utter fluency as an English speaker, my Ukrainian is limited to Slava Ukraini, da and a few other things I'm starting to pick up on Twitter's face. So, so now, Andriy, would you please just give us a little background on the town, the region you grew up in, and where you have raised your own family?
1: Okay, Claudia, thank you. Uh, before, before I'll do that, I wanna start by saying thank you for the support. To Ukraine that your country and many countries in the world are providing to us uh, because it's vital and crucial and we feel it, uh, you know, at the beginning of the war, we had a feeling that, you know, in some countries the people said that Ukraine will, will fall in, in three days or in, in a week, and you see it's now 194th day of our fight again against Russia. But I think that would never happen without the support of the Western world. So thank you for that. Another thing, I um, uh, will count on your support in terms of you know, translation, interpreting, if I pronounce something not well, but but I think it will it will be all right. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, where I'm born. So I, I'm currently based in Lviv, Lviv is in the Western part of Ukraine. It is... Was a medieval downtown, very beautiful. It has up to 1 million people. And I was born here and I lived here till 2007, if I'm not mistaken. I studied at Lviv National University of Lviv and then I moved to Kyiv, to the capital for, oh my God, 13 years. And now I feel like like there is a song sting has the sting has uh, sting this song called the uh, englishman in new york so i feel something similar because kiev is much bigger than, than lviv right and mm-hmm. uh, i feel comfortable both in kiev and in Lviv. and my kids were born in lviv but they were most of their life they were raised in, in Kyiv, I would say, because we were there, I was studying there, and then I started to build a career in Kyiv, in various organizations, which you mentioned, and they uh, actually went to the kindergarten there, to the school, and uh, we lived there until the pandemic. When pandemic happened in March to, uh, 2020, we decided to, to get back to Lviv, So, but it is a very beautiful city. It is changing very rapidly now, and I'm happy to see all the changes. And uh, I hope that uh, one day you and the listeners of this program could could come here and and see on their own eyes uh, how beautiful both Kiev and Lviv are. These cities are are closest to my heart, but there are also other beautiful uh, towns and cities in Ukraine. And uh, after our victory, I think that we will welcome everyone to see the beauty of, uh, of the country.
0: Well, we have been privy a number of beautiful pictures of these beautiful cities. And as in preparation, you were saying that the pandemic necessitated your family to relocate out of the capital city and leave. But I want to know, though, is the population, though, was at one million. But currently, what is the population?
1: Well, I need to check, but it's approximately the same. When the war started, uh, many people, they were forced to come from Kyiv, Kharkiv, Mikolaev, Kherson, and other towns and cities in the east, they came to Lviv. And uh, it's temporary to move then abroad or just to, to stay here and wait until the war is over. And I had a feeling like the whole Ukraine is here in Lviv because okay. it, it was so crowded that, but I need to check the numbers.
0: So we'll, we'll break down lots of different roles, but while we're still talking about the city, so you're helping with the resettling part or it's in the military aspect?
1: Actually, the you know, all these activities or what, everything that you hear, it changed like every time and sometimes every week. It all started, the war for us started at maybe half past five in the morning on the 24th of February when my sister called me uh she waked us up and, and she she told us that andre do you have someone in key with the car who would take us out of the city and uh, she was really struggling to, to find someone who could help so at the beginning the main focus was for us at least was to ensure that we can host as many people as possible and help them to stay here or to just have a rest and then to move to, for instance, to Poland, if they were targeting Poland and as their destination, but that were, was just for for you know one day or so. Then we started receiving some requests that something is needed for people that come to live, not only for those that were in in my accommodation, but for people in other places. Clothes, different products, food, etc. Right. So we are reacting to to those requests, but eventually we understood that. Uh, we need to provide help to Kyiv. And my main focus was for to help people that are in Kyiv now. I myself wanted to, to go to Kyiv, but decided to stay here and to do the stuff related to logistics. And I live in an apartment and uh, our neighbors, for instance, we organized. Uh, that was kind of event. event. We, we asked people to collect the bottles. And uh, some clo- dirty clothes and some unnecessary clothes, and to create this. Those are the
0: cocktail. Molotov cocktails we saw.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people were, were you know, we were collecting those bottles. And then you need gas for that, and we were googling the the recipe and so on. And we were asking people uh, to, you know, to find different stuff to organize logistics. Another thing was that we heard that some communities in these that they needed i don't know how we, we called it hatch hogs. so it still sticks they are like uh united together and it it doesn't allow a car to cross the street right because it it, it ruins the, the the wheels so we found a person who was producing that uh, we organized the logistic basically mainly most of the time i was working in the logistics but later a colleague a friend of mine from euromaidan he said that there is a military unit and that was the foreign legion he explained that these people and by the way this is something that uh, for me it's the, the highest form of support i guess from from foreigners who come here to protect the country our country And uh, what they were saying that they are not fighting only for Ukraine, but for, you know, democracy and for the the right that, you know, people can live their normal life, that the bigger country could not just start invasion for the smaller one. So I found out about uh, them, about their needs, and we started to work with Foreign Legion. The, The main needs for them were cars. So because they had a small, very mobile units who were very professional and trained, but they need vehicles to do their operations. And uh, sometimes it was both for the foreign legion and for the special forces that uh, were part of that unit. So we started to <laughs> to collect money, <laughs> to give our own money and to collect uh, money from, from other people. And then I found a person who actually can buy easily buy cars in Poland because it was hard to buy something in Ukraine already. (laughs) And uh, we were like buying cheap cars, but still in a good technical condition, mainly like pickups or uh, other minivans and so on to help our warriors.
0: To move lots of material and lots of humans.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they need to be because they need to be fast they need to come to the place make their job quick and quickly leave you know the place not to be captured or or killed so that is important and that remains still very important a need of uh, at, at least that kind of need that people ordinary people can help with right because obviously that today most of all we need more weapon we need more weapon and we need very complex systems Uh, to to win this war. And every day that we are not receiving it, it's like, it costs people's lives, right? But this kind of stuff, you know, I myself am not competent and have no ability (laughs) to do that. So that here we rely on Western partners of Ukraine. And also that foreign legion, they required some other stuff. Sometimes it was just money. Sometimes they need just generators to produce energy power banks we also were buying a lot of tourniquets to stop blood because the guys there they, they didn't have it at the beginning right at the beginning so my neighbor for instance he's a uh, military but he trains other doctors in his unit how to use the uh, different stuff and we had a cooperation with him so he was telling what his unit requires and we were searching that stuff uh, abroad and uh, buying that and providing to them.
0: For those of you who just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Andriy Strechaluk. He's an Ukrainian entrepreneur, a consultant in human resources and organizational development, and teaching now at the local business school, currently helping his country's military, as you're hearing. And I hope you don't sell yourself short the next time you talk about your role as if you, Andre, are involved and you are a trained professional in organizational development, that is such a linchpin for what needs to happen. There's for that. The other is when you're talking about supplies like tourniquets, it seems as the war will shift into maybe some urban warfare that the tourniquet requests are going to exponentially you know, increase. And in that you said early on there were requests for supplies like tourniquets, but that no, 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 they, they,
1: they, they are, you know, constant. they, are. They, they. that's the constant need. Uh, yes. Yeah. But, but yes, I mean yes. that the units that I was working with, they said, okay, Andrew, we're okay. They were in more advanced position. Right. So that is why. Yeah. But that's the constant need. We just, after doing that, maybe three, four times, uh, buying those tickets in a big quantity of them. I just shifted to the cars and, uh, and that's it but I know a few people in my personal network who decided just to focus on tourniquets and they are they continue buying and providing them to our soldiers today.
0: So I guess it's a human resource and organizational development question and there a lot of Americans and other non-Ukrainians aren't clear on what's the most beneficial way to contribute funds And we've heard disparaged a lot of international organizations, there's so much overhead, or there's some sort of mixed agendas they're not delivering. But do you, Andre, in your position, do you have a particular array of channels for sending funds that you could mention to us in this interview?
1: Yeah, for sure. First of all, I would recommend you to take a look at Tarhi Pretula's foundation. He is helping a lot. He has direct contact with Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. And I would recommend this is the the, the first place to go. And And how
0: do you spell that? uh, the name for people to to locate that link? How is that spelled?
1: It's pretulafoundation.org. It's P-R-Y-T-U-L-A-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. Another organization is Safe Life it's poverny uh, in uh, in Ukrainian uh, it's safe in uh, the the website is safe ua. these guys they are you know everyone trusts them in Ukraine they have excellent reputation and they have proved their efficiency many times already but also you And can... just
0: one thing um, excuse me huh? Andrei, that I noticed in the earlier days of this war that save life had some very kind of elevated financing mechanisms that I wasn't navigating very well and I wasn't feeling very secure, but there's some sort of uh, digital currencies and things like that. So are they using all kinds of currency to accept funds now?
1: To my knowledge, they are using all kinds of currencies and you can donate in in many ways. You can use uh, PayPal or bank account other it's you know they try to use every channel to utilize every channel
0: okay that's helpful and you had some other suggestions too
1: yeah and also if you just feel that you want to help ukraine in a more soft way i would recommend you to uh, use the website called spendwithukraine.com. this is the platform the website where many ukrainian companies producers agencies are listed and some of them, for instance, Grammarly, if you know, <laughs> you can you can buy the product because it's originally from a, a company from from Ukraine. They unicorn, so you can just uh, buy everything you need, but do it in the way that you connect with these Ukrainian uh, companies and producer of goods, and that is also a very important way to support the the country economically.
0: And those people are operating that. Spend with Ukraine, they're operating that from all over the world. So, but it's economic development for products that are Ukrainian developed and produced. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, so, yes. answer your question uh, a bit broader because there are many ways to help uh, Ukraine at the moment. You can donate, and I've mentioned the organization that are trustworthy enough and uh, have excellent reputation, and you can do that. Uh, you can send humanitarian supplies. You know if there is a protest in your country uh, you, you can join it you can host ukrainians maybe who are who are living the country or doesn't have a home uh, now in the country maybe hire ukrainians because we have quite a developed uh, tech market uh, in, in ukraine and uh, people with very good skills and lots of outsourcing companies are originally from here or had their headquarters here if you are a professional and you want uh, i mean obviously many many of you are professional in a certain field and maybe you have some pro bono activities there are platforms that you can find out people that have needs here where your expertise and your experience could really help so it not necessarily should be the money the the, the way you help but we feel this support and we appreciate it and the, the world is with us and because we treat this war, it's not the war only between Russian and Ukraine, right? It is the war for, for democracy, for for the human rights, because what is happening here in the east and in the south of the country, this is horrible and it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. What is the world if we allow this to happen? Right. And that is why even when you read about read news about us, spread the truth influence authorities in your countries that is a big help because what we what we face here that a lot of russian propaganda is focused on other countries it is very strong in ukraine we're trying to reduce it to demolish it but it is also you know very strong in, in other countries for instance as i have uh, three kids i in line with the law i can i can cross the uh, the border so we've took a ki- our kids for one month to Poland so that just not to wake them up at the night when we hear, we hear another air alert. And uh, we have seen a lot of discourse and propaganda there as well. For instance, in Europe, when people are uh, now facing a situation when the, the prices go high and what they say that this is because of, of Ukraine, but sorry, guys, this is not because of Ukraine. This is because of Russia, who invaded Ukraine and caused this situation, or this food crisis that that happened. We all know what Russia did—not to let Ukrainian country to export uh, wheat, right? So it is really important, you know, to to understand what is happening, to analyze information, and uh, if anyone is talking to you that, oh. Uh, the prices go high because of Ukraine. No, that's not true. You need to understand that that happened because of Russia. And the only way to stop this is for us to win the war.
0: Thank you. And there's a, a couple of points I want to bring up, uh, since you that was a huge sweep of involvements and important takes about the way we're updating ourselves about what's happening in Ukraine, is one, as far as supporting Ukrainians, we have Andrii, and for the benefit of my immediate community here, there is a Ukrainian woman who's a professional photographer, and she has her children here in Irvine. Her husband is in Ukraine fighting in that war. And I invited her to sit in with this interview, just sort of what she wanted to contribute, and her host here said she is so traumatized. She just is just trying to do everything about building up a business here. So it's an important point Andre brings up I want to reinforce here is we have in our midst Ukrainian professionals that can use the support and that what she earns here can help the whole household here as well as in Ukraine. And another thing that I wanted to bring up was as you were talking about the misinformation and the propaganda, if there's even a subtler form I just want to run by listeners and what motivates me to do my earnest sort of community programming. And on Twitter is Chalal. and the quote that I got from him is, when journalism turns into harm, it is not journalism, it's propaganda. And so we are also getting our own kind of a propaganda, which may be sort of layered as journalism, but we're seeing more and more intrusions of that in our media going into our midterm elections on November 8th. So it's pretty subtle where this, how this misinformation works in all arenas. So I wanted to bring those kinds of data points into what Andrew, you're talking about. So thank you for all of that. Did you have any additional ones?
1: Well, uh, I think that there maybe there are some petitions that you can sign or make some posts in social media, or read information from the official for, uh, source of information. I mean, from directly from Ukraine, because especially at the beginning of the war. Now, I hope the situation um, has changed a bit. It was a very common situation that everyone were talking about Ukraine. For right. Instance, if you, everyone were talking except Ukrainians. So uh, when in Europe there was some, I know, a TV show and they were discussing a situation in Ukraine or events here, there was a person from I know, Germany, England, uh, people, Russians, but none of the Ukrainians. <laughs> so uh, this is important that you check information and treat everything you know critically, because a lot of myth and uh, propaganda is spreading. Uh, by Russia today, and they are focusing on on Europe to weaken the support that, that we have from from the West. But I think that nowadays many people have already realized that you know it's like pure evil that Russia is is evil for. <laughs> it's a terrorist state, despite it is not officially. Uh, named as a terrorist state, but uh, if you read news, everyone understands that Russia Russia Day is a terrorist state and uh, that uh, world need to be united to fight the, to fight this evil. because the end of war for us is not just you know, to get back to the borders of Ukraine, which were uh, on the date of the twenty fourth of February. This will not be the good outcome of the war. Uh, Or the wing uh, of, or uh, the good version of our victory. Uh, The good version of our victory, and I hope this we will see it, is really to transform Russia. Because if we'll step back now, if we'll not, you know, punish all the people who created all these horrible things and started the invasion, they will come back in a couple of years. They will produce more weapons and so on. It is really important that sanctions are in place and that uh, the uh, authorities uh, and uh, uh, G7, for instance, fix the price of the oil and gas, because otherwise we will leave the 21st century having, you know, this dragon empire, <laughs> this empire of evil, as a constant threat. But I think that many people, especially in the in the US and in UK, They already realized that. And again, we are very grateful for the support and for consistency in that support for both the people and the governments of Western states.
0: And also to your point about, we need to hear from Ukrainians there when you're talking about everybody else who's speaking for Ukrainians. And as I continue to listen voraciously to Twitter spaces, I guess I can characterize Ukrainian perspectives as it, it's straight on and there's a great peripheral vision when Americans say, well, see what this person is doing. And the Ukrainian can say, no, there's a dual dual duty going on with what that leader's trying to do, with the Turkish leader or the Iranian or. And Ukrainians know there's other things that are not being disclosed. They're, it's just what we see isn't what's going on in the background so that, that people's imaginations need to be more vivid about Some things are more effectively done behind the scenes. So Mm -hmm. there's all these kinds of really important takes. and, And we also need to be better consumers of our own news, as I was mentioning before. So if we can pivot for a moment to, Andre, your own involvement in that amazing democratic movement, the Euro Maidan protests that were happening, I believe, in the late 2000-aughts. Was that around 2007? Is that when you were first 2014, involved?
1: It, to- it was- oh,
0: 2014, later, after the Orange Revolution, the Euromaidan. And so could you give us, a? you start us with this 2014 timeline, what motivated you, where you were, and what you learned? And I'm trying to have you s- describe all this, tell this in a way of bringing us along on, What I see is Ukrainian democratic reflexes are on the uptick. They're developing. I'm seeing an erosion of democratic inclinations in our country. So this is painting an important democratic institutional picture for us to understand what has been taking place up until the election of a democratically elected leader in Voldemort. Zelensky. So talk about your 2014 involvements and your motivations and what you learned and where that's taken you professionally and civically to where you are right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, So yes, 2014 and and Euromaidan, it was the time when majority of people understood that they don't want to go in the direction of, uh, you know, uh,
0: an autocracy of sorts.
1: Yes, yes. Because that was the the fact that uh, one person decide for the whole nation to do the thing that they don't want to. And uh, and that was very, maybe one of the happiest moments in my life, Mm. (laughs) if I could say so, because I saw so many people fighting for their rights. Some, all the people, they were united. It was such a sublime period of of my life. And I, I believe that life of other people. When, when everything started, obviously. But later, when when people were... When kids were bitten, and then when people were killed, it wasn't so, you know... uh try to find the words. It, 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 it was very sad situation, and we all understood. We felt very sad, but at the same time, we became very angry, and... Uh, and the protests, they transform. So if you remember, the people were, for many months, they were gathered on the main uh, square of the country called Maidan of the the independence uh, square, right? And that is why the movement uh, was called Euromaidan, because we were fighting for our right to be uh, part of the Europe and uh, to have a decent, decent life, because that revolution, Euromaidan, was... Revolution of Dignity, we called it, because the idea behind that revolution was that, yes, we want to be the part of EU and European family of countries. But the idea was that we want to have a good life. You know, we we want to select our leaders on our own. We don't want anyone to tell us what what, what we want to do. And by anyone, we also meant Russia, even at that time. Because Viktor Yanukovych, he was a person who was guided by by Russia at that time. And he actually escaped to Russia. The the Maidan, it was my second revolution, (laughs) peaceful revolution, which ended up being not really peaceful. But uh, the the people, they came from all over the country to Kiev, to protest. And also lots of protests were in, in other cities as well. And what Euromaidan taught me is that you can definitely make an impact and make the difference. Even if if you feel that that you are fighting against some bigger evil uh, uh, about regime. But if people are united, if they are well organized, it is very hard for this hierarchical system to... To stop you, actually, and that was a good lesson for horizontal interaction with other people. So at Euromaidan, we met, we joined actions with people I've never seen in my life before. But still, you've you've understood that this person is your, you know, is your brother, partner, and uh, <laughs> and you can do uh, good stuff together. And I think that that experience of Euromaidan, it helped to increase the volunteers movement in Ukraine. And many many people after euromaidan they created ngos to support the community development uh, development of democracy in the ukraine even uh, to uh, infra- some infrastructural projects these events they inspired many many people in the con- uh, people in the country to uh, do some institutional changes as well
0: that is really phenomenal and riveting and it's it has so many universal messages in there, and I hope everybody heard them fully. And I'm curious though what your sensation was like when volodymyr Zelensky won his presidential election in April of 2019.
1: He's our president, and now he's doing really cool job for the country, especially or on international arena, and um, you know grateful for every positive thing that he has done. And uh, it is very wise that Ukrainian army can act independently now that he has a strong team and uh, people he rely on are really professionals. So now we are all united. Now we have the enemy. This enemy is Russia and uh, the regime that uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, uh, okay has built so we have we see some challenges you know we are supporting all uh, the government and uh, the president because now we are united as never and at the beginning of 20th century Ukraine made a mistake because we had a we were in really good position then we had different we had a, a lot of trained people a lot of weapon but. We were not united, but today we are. All people in Ukraine are fighting against Russia. I mean, people that are soldiers now, that are military, but those who back up them here by providing supplies, by doing other volunteering activities. And uh, yeah. And by the way, it would be a mistake to think that. The Ukrainian army is a super trooper professional army, and uh, that's there is Ukrainian army and then civilians. <laughs> the truth is that that army is formed from civilians, from people that maybe uh, I know six, eight months ago were not trained, have haven't even touched a weapon in their life, but now they are fighting Russians in different regions of Ukraine. There was Someone wrote in in the social media that there was a list, uh, Ukrainian Forbes, they create a list, 30s under 30s. I mean, the people who are, they have a list, it's like 30 people, top 30, for people who are under 30 years old, and who are rich, businessmen, and so on it creates a, a, a list of uh, uh, the, the, the most uh, successful entrepreneurs in the country. So ah, this young, young, young entrepreneurs who already built some businesses and now they have to, to edit the list because if I'm not mistaken, two people from that list died in the war already with weapons in their, in their hands, right? So many civilians, they just... For instance, when I was working at Innovax, his name is uh, Dmitro Krivenko. He was a really cool guy and very nice person, strong professional. He was a tech lead there and then he became an architect. And uh, on the 12th of August, I read from uh, the CEO of Innovax that uh, he died uh, fighting for Ukraine. So Mm. that's. That is how society is integrated, you know, in, in the war. It's not only volunteers; it's our neighbors, you know, friends and relatives, uh, colleagues who are fighting. And uh, some people, obviously, they are in uh, more peaceful uh, regions. Like I'm lucky to be in in Lviv and do all the operation uh, on, on logistics from here. But there are people who whose uh, sacrifice is incredible. And um yeah, so um
0: for those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Andriy Stolyhalyuk, Ukrainian entrepreneur, consultant in human resources and organizational development, teacher at local business school and he's currently assisting the country's military and making the point here is Everyone in Ukraine is in the military. He's making that point. So if I may, you were talking about how organizing a nation for a war effort, that there are incredible managers in every sector that I am witnessing from some of these immense webinars I'm getting on Twitter spaces, that the sectors are military, nuclear, utility engineering, diplomacy, agriculture, and communications. And there was a recent interview with Alexander Kamishin. Uh, mm-hmm. He was an investment banker. And like you said, that people are changing their jobs to, to meet the war effort. He's now the Ukraine Railway Finance Chief. So it seems to me like this amazing Ukrainian savvy, nimble kind of adaptations and all that, that there are going to be more case studies about management used around the world based on these kinds of experts that are meeting the moment in such exemplary ways. Do you think of yourself as back in business school and case studies? Do, do you not see where, and you yourself are an embodiment of how to adapt your work into an extremely urgent need. You want to talk a bit about this kind of resourceful, resilient ability in the face of this massive hostility Ukrainians are facing.
1: Yeah, that I, I, I think that you know, people are very organized and mobilized here. They have a lot of energy, and uh, they are working under uh, under stress and living under stress actually. And uh, there were many cases when, you know, uh, for instance, some developers they were working for international organizations and having calls with their colleagues, and they we, uh, suddenly they they, they said. Hold on, hold on! I need to go to the shelter. And they like go to the shelter. and They continue their their job, their, their meeting from there. Like you know, like this is their their normal day. And people got got used to that. Uh, there are many mm-hmm. cases when the business and economy they adapt to the situation and they try to provide support. You know, to the military, for instance, uh, one acquaintance of mine he created a product. Uh, that a platform actually that you can that helps to helps to connect between volunteers and people who are in need. Uh, so you can easily do that uh, having the platform. You can search jobs there. You can find accommodation there. You can find a professional there, and, and so on. And uh, I think what Ukrainian railways is doing today is you know it is a really very cool job and i hope that one day this will be started as a business cases also uh, the post the main profit post of of ukraine also uh, started to you know renew their work quite quite fast and quickly i can give you example Please. of uh, our own small startup so we created the, 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 an MVP of the product and the idea of the product was to help parents and kids spend more of worldly time together. And uh, you can do that by just really simple activities. You don't need some expensive toys or a lot of time. You can just play some word games, for instance, or ask questions. Uh, would you rather questions? Would you rather be a Spider-Man or a Batman? I don't know. And we've made mm-hmm. it in the form of the app. And we plan to use it, to launch it in the in the US actually, and then globally. But the, when the war happened, we had we had all the content in Ukrainian. So what we've done, we've just collected publicly available content that will be useful for parents. And also, we made the app be able to work offline, so that parents could use the app in the shelter in the basements, right? So that parents could shift kids attention in different directions so that they don't feel this you know this threat for some time i know that lots of people uh, lots of businesses you know they they started to incorporate volunteering as, as part of their daily daily job so this was not only for in the form of uh, giving money uh, to the military right but also to organizing to to use the to provide their cars for logistic purposes to you know supply uh, some stuff to the military and to the people that suffered from the war in the in the early days so yeah
0: so don't be too modest it, i when i introduced you i mentioned a couple of apps so which app is the one you're talking about you could return to after the war that you were saying is is it the fig leaf app or is it the hardy app that i i mentioned? hope
1: it's it, it will be the hardy app
0: that's the one okay mm-hmm. Just so we know, we're gonna do that little promotional there for your product line there. So,
1: but no um, need for no need for that, Claudia. <laughs> well,
0: well, that's my. Sorry
1: design. if as I mentioned that case, but this is something that you know.
0: That's a we, good idea. We,
1: we're proud of because once we've done that, our servers they fall immediately because so many people. Uh, we how we've done that? We've just asked a Telegram channel that has like one million and three hundred thousand people in it. To post about us that this app will help help you know to entertain your kids while while they are in the basement in the shelter and people started uh, downloaded that app and uh, our servers they they collapsed so we had to, to make a workaround there and uh, I know thousands thousands of people installed and, and used uh, the app in these circumstances and uh, this is also kind of help that you know that our team was was able to to provide at that time and uh, yeah i'm glad for that
0: and absolutely and it's it has a kind of morale boost that everybody knows what's keeping them going it's a ukrainian product it's in ukraine ingenuity so the kind of dividends are exponential there too i that just to to put that in there so even people like journalist masha Gessen is checking in with this, and she was quoted on a national public radio broadcast last week, and she said, Ukraine is the most hopeful and imaginative place on the European continent, end of quoting her. So I wanted to make sure, and Andrew really gave us a great, several examples of adaptations to deal with the immensity of this challenge on your whole country there. So were there any additional kinds of case studies about this important way of boosting morale, of fortifying the whole entire country's disposition, whether in country or around the world?
1: For instance, we had a, there are a, a lot of uh, cases uh, that uh, hard to remember all of them, but even, even kids were, <laughs> were trying to do something for the country and uh, for the victory. For instance, uh, there was a story of a, a young girl who decided, who who wanted to help um, the Ukrainian army. And she was, she decided that she will play checkers. So near the entrance of the uh, shopping mall, she was sitting and asking people whether they want to play checkers with her. And if she wins, she will, uh, you know, they will pay her money for for the game. And uh, so she she was doing that activity for quite some time, but uh, people didn't know that she was, champion in checker uh, champion of uh, of europe in 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 checkers and uh, by doing that she actually collected uh, if i'm not m- mistaken 20 21000 uh like small kid you know just using her talent and everyone here they they are trying to to use their strengths and skills to uh, create some value that value for the society and for the army and and for Ukraine. So people, the spirit here is really, really high. And I feel that, you know, everyone are united, enthusiastic, angry, and very confident that, you know, we will win this war and we'll definitely, definitely win.
0: Well, I appreciate your capturing so many sort of um, elements emotional elements in this. And you're talking to the resilience and capacity of Ukrainians, but there is, as we have heard in many spaces, there's a good deal of trauma. And sometimes because of these duties that you're talking about, people are taking up or the duties of forensic journalists, forensic attorneys that are taking data for war crimes trials in the future, so they're not; it's not registering the trauma that they are having now. So I want to know, to the extent you're aware, Andre, how is this trauma being addressed right now, or how do you see that there may be a kind of a system, a means for addressing that trauma at some later date?
1: Uh, yeah, we understand that uh, this will, you know, this will impact our lives, and this uh, trauma is. Uh, um, very serious problem that we, will, we are facing now and we will face in the future. And what I what I can see that many of uh, even my friends and acquaintances they they started to provide different service uh, different services or they start uh, for people who came from from the war from veterans, for instance. I mean to help them find uh, the job and stuff like that. That was actually. That that, that was done since 2014 when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and uh, in the Donbas region. In the Donbas region, yes, because this is the full-scale invasion. But uh, the war continues for eight years already, and uh, many friends they started to take some courses in. uh, uh, in, in psychology, I mean, those that were qualified as psychologists, they started to take additional qualification to be able to work with this post-trauma uh, uh, syndrome in, in in people who were at war. So this is something that uh, that is in place already. So people individually, they are doing a lot of, Ukrainians are doing a lot of efforts here. Also, I know that there are some programs and developments on the, professional level level of uh, associations and so on for instance at the beginning of the war uh, we have prominent uh, psychologist her name is svetlana royce and she was like a child psychologist uh, right so she was very popular uh, on on facebook and other social media and just by giving overall advice about kids development but when the war happened the war started i mean full full full-scale invasion she and her colleagues, they prepared a guide for parents, what to say to people, how to talk about war with kids, how to behave in this situation and so on. And uh, this informational activities, it was heavily spread ac- across the country. And all the professionals that actually worked with, for instance, with kids or psychologists, they started to pay attention to this new reality and to help people uh, get through this hard experience.
0: And I want to make sure I can refer back to her and maybe find spaces for her to speak with a really broad audience around the, the world, Svetlana Reis? Reis? Svetlana I-
1: Ro- Royce. it's Royce. like Royce. yes.
0: R-O-Y-S, R-O-Y-S.
1: R-O-I-Y? Yeah. Yeah
0: did you want to say there, more there is
1: one where really uh, i i don't think that I, I i would i would share this but yeah, may, may, maybe this will 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 be useful but okay. uh, one of the one of the uh, features of character of, of ukrainians that that they uh, that they displayed during this war was the sense of humor a lot of memes and and jokes uh, about the war and uh, we create a lot of visual information and i mean different postcards and so on, you know, this post-stem with the, the Ukrainian soldier that he was, con- uh, that the Russian warship was coming to the Zmini Austria, Zmini uh, Island. Right, and- snake,
0: snake Island.
1: Snake Island, yes. And they were saying that uh, this is the Russian warship, uh, give up. And he said, I don't want to use this. You, you know, can say with-
0: F-U, yeah.
1: Okay. He said, Russian warship, go F you yourself. And, uh, and uh, the main post office of Ukraine, they created the postcard and the stamp and uh, uh, the, the, the mark, and uh, it is spread all over the country now and uh, very popular. But the sense of humor is something that really helped us to, to deal with the trauma. There, there was, uh, you know, uh, when there was invasion, there was. I know, maybe this is not r- not a real story, but everyone were fighting. People in in building, they were when they saw the Russian soldiers, they were throwing something. And uh, the, the the old lady, she just had a uh, the sunflower seeds. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Ah, oh, the sunflower seeds. That that was uh, the joke. That yeah, but hold hold on. She had a jar full of uh, cucumbers. And she was throwing that from the, you know, from 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 the window. And so people were in a really uh, strong mood again against, against uh, the invasion and against Russian. We had a, a situation when people in the street they were stopping in Kyiv and they were stopping uh, these m- military machines uh, with their bare hands and uh, you know taking the the guns from from them. So I want to say that sense of humor. Uh, was something that helped us to survive and to deal with with trauma but definitely we need a more systematic approach and i I think that uh, once the, the war is over we'll need even even more but different hotlines are created now phone lines that you can call and uh, you know just have a session with a therapist uh, psychologist to ensure that that uh, you are okay and you can, you know, resist and continue fight in the future as well. My life during this six months, it was like starting from the, uh, the period when I was uh, hosting people here in my accommodation. For instance, one day we had 19 people and uh, two dogs uh, on one night and then it changed every time. And uh, it really, it takes time and effort to even to recall what happened, you know, before to give you some, some, some uh, real story, which is. um...
0: And this is an important narration for people to hear that there are so many levels of demands put on you. This is a really important, nobody knows about the sustained effort. Nobody can imagine. I'll I'll never be able to imagine back to your family, Andre, all of your family members at you saying now that you're all under the same roof and leave.
1: Yeah, we are now in Lviv. Yeah,
0: and so and, and for people to have heard earlier in the interview, you're talking about how they had to go over to Poland for I don't know a couple of months. Uh,
1: that we, you know, uh, Lviv is in the western part of Ukraine, so uh, luckily we, we we. It's not about the artillery; it's about the the yeah. missiles that that. Uh, Russians are shooting uh, uh, on the Ukraine, uh, shooting in our direction. And, uh, you know, sometimes it happened at 3 p.m., uh, a.m. Sometimes it could be 3 a.m. and then again 7 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, and we live near one important, I would say, <laughs> infrastructural object and near the airport uh, and near the military base. So we've uh, tried to to go to the shelter every time we heard that air alert. And uh, my uh, kids, they, at the beginning, so when I heard that call from my sister, right, uh, who was trying to get out of Kiev, uh, we then started to prepare ourselves here for the war as well. So it meant that to buy some necessary stuff to ensure that we have enough uh, gas uh, for the car and so on. And uh, on a second day of invasion, a second or, or third day, not to remember. It's it's really hard to to recall when it, when when, when it happened what. So I asked my wife to take kids to the more safer place, to the village near uh, near Lviv, thirty kilometers from Lviv, and they stayed there for some time. And I started to uh, you know to host people that were coming from Kyiv, Mukhlaiu, Kherson, uh, Kharkiv, and other reg- regions to. So they could just have shelter here or just a temporary shelter because they were trying to find, you know, better conditions for themselves or go to another country and and so on. So my kids remained there for some time. But uh, then after maybe one month, we've decided that we'll take kids with us here because no matter what, Families should be united. Family should be, you know, it's really, really hard. Unfortunately, many families, they had to, to split, not, not only for one month. So, I mean, lots of mothers and kids, they traveled to Poland and other countries, while uh, men, they uh, remained here in, Ucr- in Ukraine. And that's also a trauma because. Uh, from everyone that I was talking to, they say that this is really mm, it's a big damage and uh, it's a very tough experience for for kids and for the family world to be separated from each other yes. in that in, in that way. And uh, but I think that in the middle of summer, people started to move back right from from Europe to to, to Ukraine, which is good and. Uh, I hope that this will end up end up soon. And but we were trying to live normal life there, uh, even when we heard, he, hear that uh, when we are hearing that alerts. So, for instance, my um, you mentioned the video where uh, I, I made a video where my kid she had an online uh, music class, uh, and uh, uh, and she was having it in the shelter. For instance, they were playing games there, and uh, I think this is a quite typical situation for many families in, in Ukraine. Unfortunately, that, that is now part of, you know, part of everyday life.
0: Well, I thank you for all of your time today, Andre. It's a marvel to have you with us to, your generous offer of your time. I wish deeply for your families, all your loved ones, and your countrymen and women's and your safety. Thank you so much for this time together.
1: Claudia, thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about Ukraine and our situation. And uh, once again, thank you all for your support. We really, really appreciate this. And this will be never, we will never forget this. Thank you very much.
0: My guest was Andriy Strayhaliuk, Ukrainian entrepreneur, consultant in human resources and organizational development, and teacher at local business currently assisting the military, like everyone he's mentioning is now a part of assisting the military. And thank you again.